0: GU Nurses Connect is an initiative of Call2Ed. This podcast is supported by an educational grant from Bayer. The views in this podcast are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' academic institution or the rest of the GU Connect group. For expert disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the Call2Ed website. Hello and welcome to this podcast covering prostate cancer highlights from ASCO GU, ASCO, and EAUN twenty twenty two. I'm Dr. Jason Alcorn, and I'm a nurse consultant for uro oncology and Andrology at the Mid Yorkshire Hospitals NHS Trust in the UK. And I'm also a member of the GU Nurses Connect. Today, I'm joined by fellow GU Nurses Connect member Jennifer Sutton.
1: Thank you, Jason. I'm Jennifer Sutton and I'm a registered nurse and the Director of Nursing and Administration at Carolina Urologic Research Center in the United States. It's a pleasure to join you today.
0: So Jennifer, I know you attended the ASCO GU and ASCO 2022 conference sessions. I'm interested to hear which data from these conferences particularly caught your attention.
1: Yes, there was a lot of great presentations at both these conferences but the first session that I would like to talk about is the ARISONS trial, which was presented at ASCO GU earlier this year by Dr. Matthew Smith, and looked at treatment intensification with triplet therapy and metastatic castrate-sensitive prostate cancer patients. ARISONS evaluated the effect of darolutamide in combination with ADT and docetaxel on overall survival in patients with MCSPC with a global randomized double-blind placebo-controlled phase three study. MCSPC patients were randomized one-to-one to darolutamide 600 milligrams twice daily plus ADT with six cycles of docetaxel versus placebo twice daily plus ADT with six cycles of docetaxel. Darolutamide in combination with ADT and docetaxel significantly improved overall survival compared with ADT and docetaxel in patients with metastatic castrate-sensitive prostate cancer. Darolutamide reduced the risk of death by 32.5%. It also significantly improved key secondary endpoints, including time to castration-resistant prostate cancer, time to pain progression, time to first symptomatic skeletal event, and time to first subsequent anti-neoplastic therapy. Darolutamide in combination with ADT and docetaxel should become a new standard of care for treatment of mCSPC. It is also important to note that updated overall survival findings from Enzimet were presented at ASCO, which revealed that enzalutamide added to testosterone suppression compared with an active comparator of a non-steroidal antiandrogen provided clinically meaningful improvements in overall survival for the combined overall cohort, which persisted with an additional three years of follow-up. The benefits were more pronounced in patients with low volume disease and were also seen in the subgroup with M1 high volume MCSPC, despite the relatively high survival with testosterone suppression plus docetaxel plus a non steroidal anti androgen. Longer follow up has helped clarify the benefit for de novo plus docetaxel.
0: Thanks for that overview, Jennifer. Now, I think about intensifying therapy. I'm immediately considering whether there would be any additional toxicity for patients. Was any additional toxicity seen in the Addison's trial?
1: Great question. Rates of adverse events were similar between the derelutamide and placebo groups, which means that the toxicity with ADT plus chemo does not notably change by adding derelutamide, making it a well-tolerated drug, so it's good news for the patient. I experienced this firsthand as we participated in the Aramis trial for NMCRPC and the Arison's trial for MCSPC. It was exciting as a nurse to be able to provide a drug to a patient without adding additional toxicity.
0: That's um, good news to us, hopefully then uh, we can actually see our uh, patients tolerating the drug better and actually staying on treatment for longer. With that in mind, what additional patient education is required for these patients when they start drugs such as um, darolutamide?
1: Good point. Uh, whenever you're talking about adding additional therapy, the patient's going to question additional toxicity. So it's important for the nurse to educate the patients that although they're adding an additional therapy, they're not necessarily increasing toxicity. It's important for the patients to report any change in baseline, but it's also uh, important for the the nurse to reassure the patient that data suggests that the drug does not have additional toxicity.
0: So we've seen the um, treatment landscape change significantly over the past seven years or so for MCSPC patients with treatment intensification with ADT and docetaxel from the Chartered and Stampede trials and then also more recently from the use of ADT and ARIs, including abiraterone, again in the Stampede trial, but also the Latitude trial. apalutamide in the Titan trial, but also Enzalutamide in the Archer's and Enzomet trial. We've seen that the use of triple therapy from piece one, which is the ADT plus docetaxel and abiraterone, but now also from the Arisons trial as well. So if we think about the implications of this data for clinical practice, what are your thoughts on the triple therapy for patients? Should we be using it now? And if so, which patients would it benefit?
1: It's exciting to see the treatment landscape change significantly for MCSPC patients with ADT intensification with androgen receptor inhibitors and, or docetaxel with the eight clinical trials you've just mentioned. Do all patients with MCSPC benefit from ADT intensification? Yes. These studies have shown that ADT alone is not sufficient treatment. We still don't know when we should use triplet therapy, which is ADT plus an ARI plus docetaxel. The value of docetaxel addition to an ARI is not known, but data from Enzimet, P1, and Arisins is suggesting benefit in MCSPC de novo docetaxel populations. It's also important that the patient is engaged in the treatment decision-making process.
0: So thanks for sharing your insights there, Jennifer. Um, Were there any other presentations that caught your attention?
1: Yes. So at the main ASCO conference this year, we saw a subgroup analysis of prior and concomitant treatment from the Vision trial, which looked at lutetium PSMA and PSMA-positive MCRPC patients. But before we get into that, let's review the term theranostics. It's a combination of the terms therapeutics and diagnostics. Theranostics is the term used to describe the combination of using one radioactive drug to identify or diagnose and a second radioactive drug to deliver therapy to treat the tumors. Prostate-specific membrane antigen, or PSMA, is an emerging diagnostic and theranostic biomarker for prostate cancer detection and targeted radioligand therapy, as it is highly expressed in all types of prostate carcinomas. The vision study enrolled patients with MCRPC to lutetium PSMA with standard of care versus the standard of care, which in this study was largely a second exposure to androgen receptor pathway inhibitor, radiation, and steroids. Lutetium PSMA prolonged overall survival. This analysis showed a survival benefit with lutetium PSMA regardless of prior treatment or concomitant standard of care chosen in PSMA positive MCRPC patients. Prior to the vision trial, therapy had previously reported, which was a phase two trial, which evaluated lutetium-PSMA versus cabazitaxel in men with MCRPC after docetaxel. Lutetium-PSMA was more active than cabazitaxel with relatively fewer grade 3-4AEs and PSA progression-free survival favoring lutetium-PSMA. It's exciting because lutetium-PSMA was approved by FDA this year based on vision trial results.
0: I agree, Jennifer. The ligand therapy is a really exciting area. I think it's really going to change the landscape of treatment for these patients. It's great to see that the US has got FDA approval. Uh, in the UK, we've got an early access programme, uh, but we're still waiting for market authorization uh, to implement this in the uh, health service Uh, And I think that is uh, the case in much of Europe at this present time.
1: Yes, and even though we have FDA approval here in the States, it's still a challenge to get it across the country to be available for all patients. So it's going to be a work in progress for, for the world. So Jason, as a board member of the EAUN, you had the opportunity to judge a number of posters at the recent EAUN conference in Amsterdam. Would you like to tell us about the ones that stood out for you?
0: Yeah, thanks, uh, Jennifer. Before I get into uh, the three that I selected, I've got to say that it were, it's really encouraging that uh, we're actually seeing nurses uh, take up research and actually look at their practice as well as developing areas of practice and treatment for patients rather than it just be left to our medical colleagues to... Uh, undertake and implement. So it was really good to have a a large number of abstracts or posters to look at and uh, to judge. The the pleasing thing is that over the years, the standard uh, has really, really improved, uh, which is good. So the three abstracts that I want to focus on, the first one is entitled knowledge sharing, a practice development initiative to improve rehabilitation in prostate cancer patients. On the face of it, it seems very simple in the knowledge sharing in the, uh, we would all take that as a given. This is a, a Danish study by uh, an author called Willemsons, uh, and they sought to understand if teams delivering cancer rehabilitation care, if those teams required updating with evidence-based guidelines, which again, as I say, you would think, uh, is a given, but it, that is not the case in every country. They also sought to understand whether those teams' need for knowledge provided evidence and support. And it, in Denmark, it was quite clear in how they are structured in that these teams do not have access to the same sorts of knowledge uh, or evidence base as their colleagues within uh, what we would call secondary care or acute care, which is a hospital settings. So it's a practice development rather than a research study. And the authors, uh, what they did, the, the methodology that they implemented was that they presented a questionnaire to physiotherapists, nurse specialists, and occupational therapists at various points within a patient's pathway. And these were prior to and after an educational webinar. Uh, then again, four months later, The webinar focused on uh, aspects of cancer rehabilitation for patients. Now, the results of the questionnaire found that participants easily understood the subjects in the webinar, which we would all agree uh, is a finding that we uh, would find uh, as a standard. However, what was interesting was that some of these teams actually changed their programmes and their approach to providing cancer rehabilitation based on that webinar they felt more confident in delivering rehabilitation programs which would lead you to think that actually these pockets of uh, teams were not getting the information or the knowledge uh, that they required to deliver the care or the rehabilitation to patients as we would think they also found that the evidence uh, for exercising patients with metastatic cancer and clinical expertise actually motivated the teams to provide more rehabilitation than than what was asked for. And I think this highlights an area for nurses in clinical practice that knowledge sharing within teams or from external sources is of paramount importance in delivering quality patient care. This is one area where knowledge sharing in prostate cancer rehabilitation has proved uh, to be correct. The evidence of space for exercise programmes to improve patient care is there and is needed to provide that care to patients.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, Knowledge sharing, as you said, you'd think is a given and also having access to, evidence-based guidelines, you would think is a, is a given as well. So it's interesting to know that there's facilities, and I'm sure there's facilities all around the world, including the United States, that are not having the access to the knowledge sharing and the evidence-based practice. It's exciting to know that this facility did change practice after they learned about the new evidence-based guidelines and they were able to implement it. That's exciting
0: news. So the, the next p- poster that I found interesting was the establishment of a standardized patient involving PRO intervention for patients with prostate cancer treated with active surveillance. I found this interesting because it's a technology-based program, uh, which is the way that we're all going now. It is using much more technology than we have done previously. Again, this is another Danish practice development study uh, by someone called Ostergaard. And her team were investigating the implementation of an app to standardize care and increase patient involvement in active surveillance for prostate cancer. So it's interesting and really good that they were looking at ways of using this app to actually standardize uh, the care and get that participation involvement. So they undertook a series of interviews with medical doctors and specialist nurses, and they used semi-structured interviews gathering insights and perspectives. But also, they undertook a focus group with patients uh, to understand what they thought was missing from the current standard follow-up of care. So with this knowledge from both sides, uh, what they did is they then built an app uh, and produced this app with a patient education programme. Patient involvement, uh, as we all know, is in paramount of importance when we're developing programmes for patients to get their involvement and their insights into uh, their care. Uh, so they ensured that throughout this uh, programme and the testing of the app, they involve patients wherever possible. The results of the programme uh, and the app have shown that patients were actually much more enthusiastic uh, about the care uh, and they were able to utilise this new technology much better uh, and pet felt that patients were more involved, and they actually reported fewer concerns. So this has the potential to allow nurses in their everyday uh, practice to focus on the patients who are struggling uh, with their care, with the diagnoses. but also allows the clinical staff to direct time and resources to where and when the patient needs it, thus allowing uh, timely interventions. While this is going on, we can permit patients uh, who have no concerns uh, and no uh, worries uh, that they can actually continue to live their lives as normal as possible.
1: Yeah, that is super cool. Um, engaging the patient is so important. And I do think you're right. As nurses, um, we need to make sure we're focusing on that. And patients having access to technology where they can share their concerns, what a step forward. Now, with these patients, were they uh, a younger population? I know that um, I live in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we have a a retired elderly population. And so um, access to technology is something that can intimidate them. So as you said, these patients were enthusiastic. Maybe they're just more used to technology or using it, or were some of them new to it?
0: Uh, Interestingly enough, the spread of ages was right across the board, and I think What the key to it was the education program. Uh, Before they went on uh, to use the app, they actually taught patients how to use it. They actually spoke about the care. So again, it was education. It was giving them that information, uh, which enabled much more success uh, in using the app
1: you're so right and um, patient education is key so having the time to sit down with the patient and and provide that education and then then being able to take it home and review the information through technology that's that's awesome
0: so the the final poster that um, i selected uh, which was a prosy app mobile application helps improve the quality of supportive care in patients with prostate cancer again it's another technology-based uh, app, but this time it's more focused on clinical staff rather than actual patients. What uh, Chad Lambos' uh, team said is that it's something becoming more prevalent in our care and in treatment of patients, with, which we've just alluded to. Uh, they recognize that supportive care is a person-centered uh, approach, which we would agree with. And this relies on meeting informational, spiritual, emotional, social or physical needs during diagnosis, treatment, or the follow-up phases, including the issues of health promotion and prevention, survivorship, and palliation and bereavement. So their study looked at how nurses utilise a mobile application to improve care. Again, it was a qualitative study using unstructured interviews uh, with nurses, but they only had uh, a single uh, selection criteria, which was nurses that used the app for more than one month. They undertook a content analysis, which was to interpret and code the data. The themes that they unearthed were that nurses were able to care for patients holistically, they were being more proactive in addressing needs and provided more consistent care. Also, the users found that the main obstacle in integrating a mobile technology or application into practice was a lack of guideline utilisation and management support. And I think this actually came from the fact that the app was used over multiple countries and not just in a single country. For nursing practice, the findings highlighted the value that mobile applications as tools uh, can provide supportive care to prostate cancer patients. As this app has shown, when undertaking a clinical consultation that can be minimally obstructing uh, when providing care and actually enhance the uh, nursing efforts to meet patient's needs.
1: Yes, once again, as you said, technology is going to become um, very normal as we move forward through time and um, having apps on our phones is is necessity now. It's awesome that these nurses have a, a prostate cancer app I know that the Prostate Cancer Foundation, they have an app that patients can download. So I think that, yeah, the development of, of more apps like this would only help the patient and improve the, the quality of care for the patient.
0: Exactly. And I think as we improve the care for patients, you know, it makes our jobs, uh, our roles, much easier to provide that care uh, in using and embracing technology. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for a very interesting uh, discussion. And I, I think that we could actually uh, go on much longer than we uh, have done about these uh, interesting topics. We certainly covered a variety of presentations. So in summary, we've heard practice changing results from the Addison's trial, highlighting the importance of early treatment intensification and also the benefits of radio ligand therapy, such as lutetium PSMA for our patients. We've also discussed the importance of knowledge sharing, education and technology to support our patients through their prostate cancer journey. So thank you once again and thank you to our listeners. And we hope you found the discussion useful as much as we did. This podcast was brought to you by Core2Ed Independent Medical Education. Please visit core for more information.